재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Korea's number one foreign language station 101.3 TBS EFM For previous episodes of The Bookend, please search TBS EFM The Bookend via podcast or go to tbsefm.seoul.kr and search for our program. Some years ago, I started calling myself Ginger, Peter, Sherlock, Rosemary, Emmanuel, the Archbishop of Canterbury. You may know me better as the real Slim Shady. Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been corrected. First chapter. It's time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today I'll read from Pesua's Huesekshi, or Time in Grey. As you can glean from the title, the story takes a different look at how time is experienced and processed in the individual. The writer says, Time passes through itself by a process more random and spontaneous than we can guess. As time goes by, the scenes of the past become more foreign and dubious, and those impending events will feel closer and also approachable, bringing with them profound stories not obscure to us. In the excerpt I'm about to read, the protagonist hears about the plane accident of a girl called Sumi he once took Esperanto with. I'll be back after Urban Zacapa singing Just the Two of Us. Shining through, yeah, yeah, to make those rainbows in my mind. When I think of you, sometimes wanna spend some time with you. Just the two of us, we can make it if we try. We just got to. Time in Gray by Pesua. At that time, I had already forgotten all about Sumi and the Esperanto class. That had been so long before, and moreover, I was older now. I had read some pretty good books, ones that Esperanto could not be compared to. And after graduation, there was a chance that I might try getting into graduate school, or perhaps I would get married. New lives, improving every day, and new simulation transform the events of the past, making them trivial or even shameful. This is an ordinary phenomenon, one that occurs before it turns to that guilt that endures throughout one's life. Well, in my vague recollection of Sumi, she now no longer possessed the beauty or mystery of those first impressions. She never became an object I reminisced over. 
If I had thought that Sumi was especially beautiful, this was because of the poverty of my experiences and my imagination's immaturity. And yet, it would have been a lie to say that she had not been beautiful at all. So I assessed her beauty not as that which would declare itself as such by name, and not as having that poetic power that would have compelled Odysseus to return home, but as a beauty that would turn the heads of the vigorous young men of the neighborhood. After going to college, I gained more experience. I met young women who were both physically and mentally remarkably attractive. With these experiences, I had to reevaluate the beauty that I had once admired in Sumi. I found that it wasn't exceptional. The details of those first impressions faded away with time, while only her less than brilliant intellect stood out in my memories. Among the women who attracted me, the ones who fascinated me the most were those I did not personally know very well, whom I would only pass now and then, acknowledging them politely. In some cases, I did not even know their names. In other words, they were practically unknown to me. Thus, I came to clearly understand beauty not as anything that I could approach or something that I could have any relationship with, but as an object. To contemplate, only if it remained in this state would its eternal quality remain disclosed. Not talking much was among the characteristics many of these beautiful girls had in common. I was, in any case, extremely attracted to girls who were so reserved that they appeared unfriendly, girls who considered close relationships a nuisance. Who had no hobbies of any kind, who remained passive through lives of steady quotidian routine, in opposition to general expectations, and who carried themselves in a way that suggested that they considered themselves above common popularity and gossip. I never made any deliberate attempt to approach any of them. Not even when I was truly lonely, or when I wanted to reveal to them any desires that I might have had to be close with them. They all looked beyond perfect. I was afraid that if I got near them, I might destroy that perfection. And yes, it may be that the real reason, the reason that I really never approached them, was the fear of rejection. For most of these girls, they had secret admirers. Some of them even had boyfriends. They seemed to attract both interest and affection from the people around them without much effort, 
I noticed that even if it were not their intentions, they were always just naturally in positions of great favor, in almost every situation. Being so ordinary, I was sure they would not have thought much of me. Even if I could realize that dream to go out with any of them, I am not sure I would have gone through with it. I might have chosen to keep the secret as it was and let it pass, just as I had done with Sumi. Well, Sumi had disappeared from my memory in this way, but the news of her death was no ordinary news. I was a bit shocked. She had been older than me, but she was too young to die. That is, if there is any age at which death is acceptable. This shock, though, had a rather fantastic quality, like a joke that makes no sense. You might have a similar feeling when you read in the newspaper that someone you didn't know personally has died. Your feelings are significant, but not devastating. And so my classmate and I reminisced and talked a little about Sumi's boyfriend, Earl. He had seemed rude and callous to my classmate as well as to myself. It was not that Earl had been rude or callous on purpose, but he was never serious about anything. He was too lazy by nature to understand the point of things. But most of all, because of his casual manner, he had a tendency to be negligent. He just assumed that everyone was different from himself. He was a foreigner, but even if we were to take this into consideration, along with any lack of familiarity he might have had with our culture, he still lacked some quality that would have made it easier for us to get along with him. So most of us had not liked Earl as most of my classmates had not liked Sumi. Our conversation soon trailed off. We hardly knew anything about Sumi. We were not inclined to speak of someone who had died, and we had no wish to say anything critical about Earl, who, at all events, had still tragically lost a girlfriend. There are, however, many cases in which rumors turn out to be wrong, so I would not have been surprised to discover that Sumi had not actually died. And as Sumi had been such a distant person and so far removed from my own life, I could have suggested this in a humorous way, saying, she might be alive and she might be dead and anything else would be a contradiction. And so then, when I did meet Sumi, one evening more than 20 years later, I was not too surprised. The report of Sumi being on that plane had been a false rumor which is a very common thing in this world. I was already without any affection for her, and Sumi herself was not as brilliant a being as I had once thought. I was hoping that she would just move on, and we would not acknowledge or greet each other. Also, because the person she had become was essentially no different from so many of the people in this world, and since she was no worse than anyone else, I wondered if it was really necessary for me to make any effort to ignore Sumi. It is possible that I might have been attracted to her had I met her at that moment, for the first time. Because, as she had been many years earlier, this Sumi was beautiful, I did not know her, she seldom spoke, so I hadn't really spoken with her. 
She had a graceful figure, like that of a swan. She seemed indifferent to things in general. She maintained an expression like a plain, simple table, which is not unrelated to unknown guilt. She had no hobbies. Nothing on her schedule showed any activities any more than her legs showed under her skirt. She acted or appeared as if she had no desire or passion. She was not friendly. She did not pay attention to what others did. She did not ask questions. She was uninterested. And in everything, she was still the same as ever. But I did not have any affection for Sumi now, and her existence itself was shameful enough for me. I was a little upset at having been attracted by something of so little importance. And building off this sudden anger, I was able to ignore the fact that Sumi was not interested in me at all. Without saying a word, I watched her. She had not changed much, or it may be more accurate to say that she had not changed at all. Still not talking to me, Sumi sat there, looking off in another direction. She did not remember me, not at first. Because of her silence, and because she was ignoring me, I grew increasingly agitated. I assumed she did not remember me, and yet I continued to linger near her cautiously. If possible, I needed to prove that I did not regard Sumi as anything special in order to regain my self-respect. And thus engaged, I realized at that moment just how low and how cheap these feelings were, and my heart went pale and froze. The songs we played in between were tracks from singers of Korean descent, starting with Before It's Too Late by Big Baby Driver, followed by Fine on the Outside by Priscilla Ahn. Today I read from Pesula's Hwesek Shi or Time in Grey, translated by Chloe and Andrew James Keast. It was published as part of the Asia Publishers K-Fiction Bilingual Editions. Copies are available any place where books are sold. Pesua debuted as a writer in 1993 and has published over 20 titles since. She studied chemistry as an undergrad and is also a prolific German to Korean translator. Novelist Kim Sa-gwa says this about Pesua. Taking as an ingredient the pressure of reality, she constructs a world of dreams, a world through which lost voices drift. It is a place where a wordless voice wanders in silence, a dead end, a place where she has chosen to extend the alley's domain rather than to depart from it. 
If you want to know what happens next with the protagonist and the mysterious Sumi, check out Pesua's Huesekshi or Time in Grey. It is time for my closing quote. Today's quote is from Swan's Way, another book about the recurrence, expansion, and passage of time. Swan's Way was written by Marcel Proust, and this is the Lydia Davis translation. The very instant when the mouthful of tea mixed with cake crumbs touched my palate, I quivered, attentive to the extraordinary thing that was happening inside me. It had immediately rendered the vicissitudes of life unimportant to me, its disasters innocuous, its brevity illusory, acting in the same way that love acts, by filling me with a precious essence. Or rather, this essence was not merely inside me. It was me. I had ceased to feel mediocre, contingent, mortal. Once again, that was from Swan's Way by Marcel Proust, translated by Lydia Davis. We have arrived at the end of our show. Please go to our website if you would like to learn more about next week's topic. I'm Jamie Chang. Have a wonderful week and tune in again next Sunday at 10 a.m. for another brand new installation of The Bookend.